Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear our sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. We're in the middle of this series called The Book of James. We're encouraging everybody to read the book of James through this. We encourage you to join a life group and pick up one of the Book of James uh, journaling uh, books so that you can uh, work through that on your own and listen to what God's saying. And this morning we're, we're in uh, chapter 2. And, and chapter 2 is, is an, to me, is probably the, the key chapter. So l- let me just start to get us in the direction this is going. Just tell you a story. Uh, in 1996, Sean Hagwood was, uh, went to Minnesota to see some friends, and his friends were in a gang, and um, they uh, went to settle a score with another gang, and, and uh, you know, a fight broke out, and one of the people from the other gang was uh, seriously injured, and everybody scattered when the cops came. But um, when the cops began to investigate the crime, it was a, a white-on-black crime. Uh, it was a hate crime, and uh, Sean... Uh, basically got thrown under the bus by his friends. He, he actually wasn't active in the fight from the standpoint of, of hitting anyone, uh, but he was the one who was arrested, and he was, uh, he was put on trial, and um, uh, he was put on trial, and he was found guilty. And uh, shortly after entering his life in prison, Sean got his first visitor. It was one of the jurors that had convicted him. He thought maybe the man was there to help him with a new trial, but he discovered he was simply there to be a friend. He had come to visit. Initially, he put up a, a tough exterior, but Sean was happy to have the company. And, and he remembers uh, that uh, his new friend introduced himself as Dave Stinsland. He was a clinical psychologist. He had driven four hours just to see Sean and to find out how he was doing. He said, you know, when David stood up, uh, I felt disappointed, but he promised to come again. And he did. David visited Sean regularly every month. They talked about everything from Sean's life goals after prison to Dave's evident faith in God and how Sean could cope with the sometimes paralyzing stresses of life and the bitterness if he would turn his life over to God. For seven years, Dave visited Sean faithfully. By far, Dave was the most important influence on Sean's life and on his faith. Sean wrote, Dave showed me the peace of someone who is close to God, but in everything he did and said, he was gentle. Because he shared Christ's love with me consistently through the years, I began to open up more to the Lord. As Sean studied the Bible with Dave, his life began to change. And through Dave's example and guidance, Sean did finally find peace and purpose, and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ into his life as his Savior. In the summer of 2003, after seven years of monthly visits, Dave didn't show up. Sean's, uh, Dave's wife, Sandy, called Sean and said the shocking news. 
David was dying of cancer. The man who had mentored and loved Sean like one of his own sons had only a short time to live on earth. And Sean recalls, although I didn't want to live without Dave, I was so thankful that I had a chance to have him in my life. So a few weeks later, Sean called David to see how he was doing. And Sandy told him he was, he was just in time to say goodbye. Um, Dave was so weak that Sandy had to hold the phone up to his ear. And Sean remembers, you know, David couldn't respond much, but I knew he could hear me. And it would be the last time I talked to him, and it was a very hard conversation, but I was so glad that I was able to have it. I thanked him for everything that he had done for me and for being such a good friend to me. I told him I wouldn't be where I was today if it wasn't for you. And then they said goodbye. David passed away, but a year later, Sean was released from prison three years early for good behavior, and Sandy, David's wife, showed up to give him a hug and a send-off, and with tears of happiness, they hugged each other tightly. She said, Sean, I know Dave would be proud of you, and I'm so proud of you too. Your life's going to be different now. Just remember that God has great things in store for you. Now today, Sean is happily employed. He's following Jesus, and he's making a difference in the world because someone took the time to share Jesus with him and go out of his way for someone he didn't know at all by visiting him in prison every day. Think about that. David understood the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus is very clear about how we're supposed to care for one another. In, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, you know, Jesus very clearly says, when you visit somebody in prison, you visit me. David was putting his faith into action because our faith does something it doesn't just remain static if we're truly believing in Jesus Christ you know when you study the book of James if you wanted to guess what the theme verse was we're going to be reading today it's it's chapter 2 verse 17 and it says this Faith that doesn't lead us to good deeds is all alone and dead. Faith that doesn't lead us to good deeds is all alone and dead. You know, we become followers of Jesus Christ by believing in him. But to actually follow Jesus, we need to live out what Jesus calls us to do and what the scripture teaches us. So believe in Jesus and live out your faith every day. You know, one of the ways we encourage one another is to share how we're living out our faith. And so I want to encourage you this week to do something. I want to encourage you to share with me and share with others uh, how you're living out your faith. So uh, you can do a couple of things. You know, you, could, you can go on social media if you have a social media account and, and share what uh, you're doing for Jesus. Not to brag, but just to encourage other people. And you can just put a hashtag there that says VBCCJames and it will connect with everybody who's following us. But the other thing you can do if you don't do social media, you, we have set up an a, a email address. It's called Live It Out at valleybrook.c. You can just send an email to us. And, and uh, you know, that will encourage us, but if you give us permission, we'll also share it with other people. So let's, let's dig into what uh, these scriptures say. So if you've got a Bible or the Bible app, turn to James chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 14, and, and we're just going to look at this idea that faith without acts is dead. 
Faith without acts is dead. So starting in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Folks, these scriptures reveal today something that, that should challenge us all honestly, to the, to the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. Verse 14 starts with two questions. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? And then the second one, can such faith save them? You know, James is accepting that uh, the hearer of these questions believes in Jesus. He doesn't question their faith, but James does make an assumption that just because one says they believe doesn't mean they're truly saved, that they've truly turned their life over to Jesus. He understands that if you believe in Jesus, if you truly believe in him, he's going to transform the way you live your life. As one writer has written, the absence of deeds of obedience in this person's life makes the claim highly suspicious. You know, it doesn't really cost us a lot to say I'm a Christian, to say I believe in Jesus. You can do that without being transformed, right? Right? You can say it just to go along or just because it's the, it seems like the right thing to do at the moment. James is not talking about what I call giving a mental assent or verbally just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. He's really talking about uh, saying something and living it out with our lives. He believes that following Jesus should transform our lives from not just saying I believe, but that belief transforms how we live our lives that it's no longer about us, that it's about following Jesus and adopting his values and his actions in our lives. One writer says, James is not saying, can faith save the lost? Of course it can. Faith in Jesus saves anybody who professes faith in him. But what he is questioning is, can a faith without deeds save the lost? And James' answer is no, because for James, if you say you believe in Jesus Christ, if you truly believe in him, he's going to transform your life. You're going to be a different person. And your values are going to be like his values. And your life is going to reflect his life. And it's going to change who you are. Doesn't mean necessarily it's going to change you from being an introvert to an extrovert or an extrovert to being an introvert, but it's going to change how you live. And if it hasn't, you have to question yourself and say, have I really accepted Jesus Christ? Have I let him be Lord of all of my life? You know, you know I believe this. I think it's very easy to uh, fall in love with Jesus, the Savior, 
the one who died on a cross for you. I mean, that can bring powerful emotions and feelings to you to say, I can't believe somebody would die on a cross for me to be crucified, to be executed, a horrific, awful way to die. And so I love him and I accept him because I want to go to heaven. But what about from now until eternity? What happens? Do we just sit around and do what we want? It's not just accepting Jesus as our Savior. It's accepting him as our leader or, as the Bible says, as our Lord. And if we're a Christ follower, then we follow our leader. Then we accept the teaching of our Lord and we begin to do what he says and put his words into practice and live a life that reflects that our lives are truly committed to him. And it will change us. It will change us. It will demonstrate to others. And that's not what we're about, demonstrating to others. But it will, people will say, you know, there's something different about you. James illustrates this paradox in verse 15 and 16. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace. Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing for their physical needs. What good is that? James is driving at this reality that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to transform your life. Jesus will show you what it means to have a heart for the things that God has for, and your heart will break for them, and it will change your life. Think of this. Would you go to a doctor who's never been to medical school and gotten an MD, who never cares for patients. I mean, you, you know, that person may believe they're a doctor, but you and I know uh, I'm not going to somebody like that. Uh, you, you know, and think about anything. You know, we can say, we can believe we're something, but if it doesn't translate uh, into actions or lifestyle, it's not going to mean anything. I'm going to confess to you something. I'm a fair-weather Red Sox fan, okay? Um, I don't watch the games uh, in, the, uh, in the regular season. Um, I have kept up with the score. I know that they're even with the Yankees, but I'm not watching the games. So I'm not really a Red Sox fan, am I? You know, I, I really, I'm not. You know, some of you are diehard Red Sox fan or Yankee fans or somebody else. And, and you know, if uh, we spent some time talking or if I saw the back of your car or, or the T-shirts that you wear, I would know it. But no Red Sox T-shirts here, okay? Um, I, I, I don't live what I believe when I say I'm a Red Sox fan, okay? So you guys can, can bust me on that all you want. And to be honest with you, it doesn't mean anything to me because I don't care. But I do care about Jesus. And if you see me not living a life for Jesus, I give you permission to politely take me aside and say, Clark, um, can we talk about something? And I'll listen. Because the truth of the matter is I believe in Jesus and I want him to transform the way I live. And that's why James says, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, 
is dead. And then he goes into this, uh, you know, this whole idea about, about our actions, and he's picking up on what his half-brother Jesus taught. So let me just remind you, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said this, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You can tell what a tree is like by the fruit it produces. You cannot pick figs or grapes from thorn bushes. Good people do good things because of the good in their hearts. Bad people do bad things because of the evil in their hearts. The big idea is, is Jesus says, I will know you by your fruit. And if you say you're a follower of Jesus, he will know you by the fruit of your life and others will know you by the fruit of your life. And, and then James goes into this section uh, in verse 18 and following, he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. When he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds, he, he's pointing out this, that, that faith without deeds looks very different than faith with deeds. Now, remember, James was in a very religious culture. All right. Uh, Christianity came out of Judaism. They believed that Jesus was the foretold Messiah, but he lived in this very religious culture where people did do things that demonstrated they were adherents to a faith. You know, they, they, if they were Jewish, they went to the temple. Um, they gave their tithes and their offerings. They wore their yarmulke. They had their prayer robes. Um, you know, they prayed regularly. They, they listened to the scriptures, okay? And the same thing in Christianity. They, they would gather in homes to worship Jesus. Uh, they would break bread together. They would, uh, they would look at the teachings. But he said, you know, it's not just attending. Let's just put it in modern day terms. It's not just attending church. It's not just going to a Bible study. It's not just, you know, getting up and going through the motions of, of having a devotional and reading the Bible and prayer. It's, it's actually letting that transform your life. And then he says, he goes, listen, you know, uh, you believe in one God. That was one of the core tenets of Judaism that came into Christianity. There is one God. He said, even the demons believe that. He said, listen, your faith, your belief should translate into actions. So faith without acts is dead. Here's the next point. Faith without deeds is useless. James writes, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Faith and actions, complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James 
was writing to people whose barren lives, barren of deeds, distorted the doctrine of salvation by, by faith. This is what happened. James con contrasted two types of people. One was genuine and showed itself by works of compassion and obedience, and another was false, emphasizing correct belief, but denying that belief by a life empty of good works. And, and he uses this illustration. You, you know, God spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up on the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. I, 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 you can't wrap your head around that, so don't try. But Abraham was obedient. And when he got to the top of the mountain, God provided a ram for the sacrificial offering. Isaac was not sacrificed. Abraham believed and he followed and acted. Faith and deeds together. And what does the Bible say about him? It was credited to him as righteousness. Rahab. Rahab saw the faith of the Israelites and she trusted in God and said, I believe that this is God Almighty and I want to follow this God and so I'm going to help the Israelite spies. I'm going to provide them a safe place so that they won't be uh, taken uh, by their enemies and then I'm going to show them uh, the way to escape. And in the New Testament it says, because of what she did, her faith was also credited to her as righteousness. Faith without deeds is dead. Faith without action is useless. Let me just share with you a couple of examples that will maybe speak to you. Uh, in Indiana, the Indianapolis Training Center was turned uh, in, from a hotel into a training center, a juvenile detention center. And they asked a Christian organization to come in and teach biblical principles to the young men who wanted to participate in the program. The mayor of the city at that time, who was Jewish, said this about the program. The juvenile offenders in the program have seen and adopted values that they never would have gotten in the court system. And one of the juveniles who graduated from the program said that afterwards, when he was released, he called everyone that he had robbed, that he had robbed in his years of crime and asked for forgiveness. Back during the... Uh, uh, one of the wars in Europe. There were Christian organizations here in uh, the States who sent millions of dollars worth of food and cooking supplies and, and other uh, things to help victims on, on, on all of the sides. And there was a Christian pastor who helped distribute the food and parcels to, to people that would trek there to receive it. And he didn't care on what side of the war they were on. And later, uh, they were directed by a man who was, did the same thing. And they were written up in the local paper. And he was said that this person was the best known and most admired person because he did this. And this was the first time a, a Protestant pastor who had ever been recognized this way. I'll share with you the story of Denise. Uh, she was divorced after 17 years of marriage and she took her two children and she moved to Atlanta to be near friends and family. 
She found a job, but she couldn't find affordable housing. And so a friend brought her to a a family ministry, which prevents families from becoming homeless. And the ministry pays the rent and most of the bills. And and over a period of months, they help the the family transition to, to financial independence. And after some months in the program, Denise uh, was able to move to covering her bills. And she said that this ministry was God's provision. And she said, it amazes me because it has enabled us to live the life that we needed to live. These organizations, a church, a pastor, a um, an organization, they've all demonstrated their faith by their works. Their actions leave us with the challenge of impacting the world. You know, here it is. Here's the challenge. Being a Christian is more than saying you believe in Jesus. It's more than attending church. It's more than praying and reading your Bible. It's more than attending a Bible study. Being a Christian is letting Jesus transform your life. And, and doing all of those things, I said, but, but living out your faith actively in the world. You know, do you know somebody who's in prison? Then, then visit them. Do you, do you know somebody who's depressed? Then make sure you reach out to them. Make sure they know that they can call you no matter what. Do you, do you know someone who's struggling to feed their family? Help them. Do you know someone who needs to grow in their faith? Then disciple them. Do you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Then share with them the hope you have. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. And those are just words unless we live them out. They're just words. This morning, I, I want to give you some homework. So if you've got, you got a pen, and I know you do because the chair in front of you has got this. And so I want you to do something. I want you to read a scripture this week. It's going to be up on the screen. It's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Don't read it now. I want you to take it home and read it this week. If you have a family, I want you to read it together. And I want you to talk about it and what it means. All right. Here's the second thing that I, that I, I want to challenge you to do. Uh, if you're on social media, go to my Facebook page. It's open to anybody. There's a story that I posted yesterday about a, a man who takes his faith seriously, and it's cha- literally, it's changing the world. The, the video is called The Spring, okay? So, re- so watch it. And, and here's the final thing. And I was very inspired by the Samaritan's Purse uh, video that we had this morning. You know, I, I thought about this, and look, I struggle with what I'm about to say because what I'm going to say is going to uh, make this easy. But I believe as a church of 400 people, we can fill up 400 boxes. You know, I, I estimate that if you, you, know, you put in the $9 for the shipping cost, it's going to cost you somewhere between 30 maybe to $40. There's about 40 days between now and the day that these are due. I'm not great at math, but that comes out to about $1 a day, okay? You know, for some of us, we could give up our coffee a couple of days a week, and uh, that would equal $40 very quickly. If you eat out once a week, if you decided to... um, Drink water instead of your favorite beverage, you could come up with $40 very easily in four weeks. Again, I don't want to make this logically easy for you, and I just did it. But you see, 
Faith without deeds is dead, but faith with deeds is going to cost us. We're going to, we're going to respond. But it's because we love Jesus and he's transformed our lives. So that's my challenge for you. Read that scripture. Watch that video. Pack a box. Why? Because there are children in this world, unlike you and me, who don't have what we have and don't know about Jesus. And don't we want them to know about Jesus? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.